Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Morning, everyone. Great to be with you in worship today, and hello to all of you with us online. There's many of you every week, and it's good to be with you wherever you are joining us from this morning. And uh, thanks to our team, our amazing staff here that pulled off yet another amazing family retreat. Uh, Anybody here go to that? Raise your hands. Anybody? You have been awarded double attendance points this morning. It doesn't mean you can skip next week. We just want to offer you double points this morning for getting out of bed after a long weekend. I know everybody slept great. Um, Hey, late no ones. So proud of you, kid. Way to go. Thanks for uh, honoring the Lord, being obedient, and blessing this church by allowing us to share in your baptism today. We're so uh, excited to watch you grow up in the Lord. What a great day. Uh, Before I dive into the text A quick word on our Made for More campaign. If you haven't been here in a while, we are in a a campaign right now to raise money because we feel like God is calling us to get out of debt. We don't want to be in debt as a church. We want to pay off our building, which that's due in July. Either it's due or we refinance. Uh, And it also includes $310,000 towards missions. So we're excited about this campaign Um, But there's been some confusion. When we say we are at $1,061,615 of our goal, that doesn't mean that $1,061,615 has been given. That is the combination of what has been given and pledged. So if you have pledged, I implore you, fulfill that pledge before July and help us finish our goal. Uh, to anyone who has not given, to anyone who has not pledged, and this church is your church home, I'm asking you to do your part. I'm asking you to lean in, to trust God, and let's do this together. How close are we? $338,000 away. Like We can do this. We can do this together. And once we're debt-free, it'll free up over $200,000 per year for the next five years that we would be making payments on our building. I realize some are wondering, what will we do with that extra cash on hand after we're not paying our building payment any longer? And our our leadership is praying about that, discerning that together. We're dreaming, collaborating, asking God for vision. I will tell you right now that I'm going to propose, we we have been at 13% of our budget annually goes to missions. We've been at 13% for a very long time, and it is time for that to increase. So I'm going to propose this year. I said we're gonna give more to missions. Brandon, lead us, buddy. Uh, It's time to give more, so we're we're excited. We're excited about what this unlocks for the future potential of our church. Okay, to the text we go. Luke 14, Jesus is teaching on the cost of being a disciple and his audience we read in scripture was a very large crowd. And then he finishes with this invitation. He who has ears to hear, let him 
hear, Luke 14, 35. And those who draw near to him to hear what he's teaching are tax collectors and sinners, as usual. What, what do the Pharisees do when Jesus spends time, when Jesus has meals with tax collectors and sinners? They scoff at him. They say in Luke 15, 2, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I imagine the tone of their voice. This man has dinner with sinners, right? Condemning Jesus. And the ridicule of the Pharisees and teachers of the law in this moment becomes a launch pad for three parables, two brief ones and one lengthy one. Uh, They're all parables about lostness. First, a shepherd loses a sheep, and when he finds it, he rejoices with his friends and neighbors. And Jesus explains after he finds this sheep, I tell you in the same way that this shepherd has found this sheep, in the same way there's going to be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Luke 15, 7. The second parable we see is a woman who loses a coin. And when she finds her coin, she rejoices with her friends and her neighbors in the same way that the shepherd did. And Jesus explains, in the same way that this woman has found her coin, I tell you there's going to be rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, Luke 15, 10. In the third parable, it is a father who loses a son. And when the son returns home, there is, you could guess from the first two, rejoicing. There is a celebration And that's what we're going to unpack this morning in Luke 15, if you'll start with me at verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This parable is longer than the one about the sheep, longer than the one about the coin, but the percentage of loss also increases. The shepherd lost one out of 100 sheep. The woman lost one out of 10 coins. Now you've got a dad that loses one out of two boys. It's not just the increase of loss, uh, it's also the importance. I mean, I'd, I'd rather lose a sheep and a coin than a son, wouldn't you? Uh, An Old Testament scholar summarizes that asking for an inheritance while a father is living is enormously dishonoring. He writes this, to liquidate his portion of the estate and then to leave his family amounted to an act of the grossest disregard and disloyalty. And his decision would come back and bite him. Soon he would be feeding pigs And to work with an unclean animal 
was extremely degrading and despicable work for a Jew. Read Leviticus 11. And worse, he shared his diet with the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods of a tree called the carob tree. It was known as the poor man's bread, often used to fatten pigs. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, anybody in here ever made very poor choices in life and then there was a moment when you came to your senses? Amen. Amen. All right. Me too. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am and I'm starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What an awful thought. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he snaps out of it and we see the beginning of his repentance in this rehearsal of an apology, and we'll come back to that rehearsal of an apology in a moment. But first, I wanna, I wanna camp out here on the first five words of verse 19. I am no longer worthy. My friends, Satan is a liar. Satan's a nasty liar. And one of the best tricks up his sleeve is to make you question your value and to make you question your worth. So in the same way that this young man felt unworthy to be loved by his father, to be accepted back home by his father, in the same way, we can feel unworthy of our adoption as sons and daughters of God. So I wanna pause here and say, we have to be very careful when it comes to our identity in discerning what we're hearing and what voice is speaking to us and what we're feeling. If you are hearing or feeling anything that says you are unworthy or you are unlovable or you should be ashamed of what you've done or, or, or they're condemning thoughts. Those are not from God. And they need to be identified as lies. They need to be called what they are. They're lies. And it is the enemy of God tormenting you with these lies about your identity. Don't believe them. Shut them down. All right? And today I just want to I want to rebuke all those lies in the name of Jesus Christ, and I want to cast them to the pit of hell where they belong. All right, you, you are free. If you are in Christ, you are an heir, you are free, you are no longer under any condemnation, you ought to not be ashamed. You are a new creation. You are complete. You are a royal priesthood. I mean, just look at your arms. The, you have royal blood in your veins. It is the blood of Christ in you, all right? You are God's workmanship. Shut those lies down. You don't need a Sunday sermon 
to shut the lies down. You just wake up in the morning and shut them down. Say, nope, in the name of Jesus, not today. Good try, all right? He's, he's, he's firing these arrows at you, all right? But read Ephesians. It says the armor of God extinguishes those arrows, all right? Can we move on? Is this okay with everybody? Y'all know your identity in Christ? Don't listen to those lies. Liar. In the next scene, what we learn is that this parable is less about the son's repentance and more about the father's love. It's always to be about the father's love. Verse 20. He got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son. And he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy. Here it is. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, go back to the rehearsal. Do you remember what he rehearsed? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Hire me. Daddy, you don't have to let me back in the house. I understand if you don't want me to live with the family after all that I've done. But dad, I have seen the way that you treat your servants. You treat your servants so much better than, than what I have done to myself, right? I, I've been starving, I've been working, wasting my life away. You don't have to welcome me back into the home, but hire me, let me be like one of your servants. This young man is now speaking the apology that he rehearsed and his dad interrupts him. His dad, he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Before he can say, dad, would you hire me? Dad goes, yeah, hold on, son, hold on. Hey, my boy's home, right? He calls his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. When this boy left, it was according to their custom at the time, there would have been a ceremony, a real moment in the community where the family had to publicly declare that this boy's gone and they would have excommunicated him from the family. Everybody in the village would have known, right? Everybody in this parable knows this man's made a mess of his life. And everybody knows he's excommunicated from the family. Do you know when dad says, get him a robe, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, it reverses that entire ceremony? He is restored to the family. He's restored to his father's name. What a beautiful image. He says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And boy, I imagine that was quite the celebration. Upon his return, the young man would have been open to hostility from everyone, everyone in the village. But look at the beauty here, the, the, the reconciliation with his dad, the restoration in this moment happened a great distance away. We know that because dad ran a great distance. A Middle Eastern patriarch in a robe did not run, ever. 
A patriarch would always walk in a slow and dignified manner, a way in which we would respect. They wouldn't have shown their legs. That's one of the reasons. Look at this. That didn't matter here. The dad saw his boy and nothing was going to stop him. I picture him leaping off the front patio in pursuit of his son, right? Grabbing him, throwing his arms around him, kissing him, calling the servants, we're going to celebrate. He lost all concern of his own humiliation. But the other beautiful thing about dad going to son, right? Do you, do you see this, the gospel here? Do you see? Who's, who's the pursuer? Is it us or God? Is it the child or the father? The father goes to the son. Here's the other beautiful thing about this picture. This entire way home, what has he been doing? He's been rehearsing an apology. Over and over again in his mind, he's been replaying the fact that I'm not worthy of this man's love and I'd be lucky if he hires me to work for the estate. Instead, dad says, no, 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 I'm going to cut you off here. We're going to throw a party. And by the way, the last stretch of your journey, I'm going to be here with you shoulder to shoulder. You're my son. And you're not going to walk in this village alone. Yeah, if you do, people are going to hassle you. They know what you've done. But when you walk in with me, no one's saying a word to you unless it's a word of welcome. Welcome home. He walks back home under the protective custody of his father's acceptance. And then dad says, get the fattened calf and kill it. This is an animal reserved for a special feast. Moreover, an animal of this size implies that dad's throwing a big party. Dad's inviting the community, the neighbors to come and celebrate. This younger son, previously deprived of food, longing to fill his stomach with the pods of the carob tree, is now going to sit at the table with dad and feast. Now, when the dad declares, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he might have meant, my boy's been morally dead. He might have meant, my son's been dead to the family, as in excommunicated. Or it could have meant, for all I know, he was physically dead. He made such a mess of his life, he's no longer with us. But you know what? He's alive and he's home. And a seemingly irreversible situation had been reversed. Verse 25. It's a good story, isn't it? It's a beautiful parable. Meanwhile, the older son <clears throat> was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked, what's going on? Fair question. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. By the way, more intentionality here by the father. He could have sent the servants, go get my older son, but he's compassionate to both of his boys. Dad goes out, pleads with him. He answers his father, look, all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, see, he doesn't say my little brother because he's ticked. He says, this son of yours 
who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, I don't know where y'all are from, but where I'm from, you don't talk to dad that way. He says, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because he doesn't say, my younger son, he says, this brother of yours. See, he's already working on restoring the brothers too. He says, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We tend to be a little harsh on this older brother, don't we? I mean, when we read this story, we tend to be a little harsh with him. One author says they threw a party for the younger son and they had enough time to call the caterer and the band before anyone told the older son. I mean, I get it. I get it. I see why we're hard on this older son. Imagine working in the fields all day, returning home to see your little brother getting this red carpet treatment after all he's done to your family. Bottom line, back to the parables, all three parables of lostness, the older brother just would not join in the heavenly celebration of a a sinner repenting. He wouldn't join in that celebration. And his attitude is the reason that I see this as the parable of the prodigal sons. Not just the one that made a mess of his life, right? But both of them. One had reckless behavior and the other a reckless attitude. This parable is the gospel. It's the gospel in a nutshell. It highlights three theological issues. The nature of repentance. God's unconditional love and joyful welcome of sinners. The nature of repentance here. The son's return began with awareness of sin and accepting personal responsibility. That's important with sin. And you know, repentance can be most difficult for a certain group of people. Do you know who it is? The righteous. The people who think they have it all together. The people who think they don't need to repent, right? God's so proud of them. Do you know anyone like this? Better move on. God's unconditional love. Both sons in this parable were cherished by the father because they were his sons, not because what they had done, not because what they had left undone. They were his sons, and that's why he loved them and cherished them. That's why God loves you. He doesn't love you because of what you've accomplished. He doesn't love you because you've passed every spiritual test and checked every box. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you, period. God is love and he loves you so much. And third, the joyful welcome of sinners. The father's excited joy here, receiving his son mirrors Jesus's excitement in ministry with sinners, in ministry with those despicable tax collectors, according to the Pharisees. And the old, older son's refusal to rejoice mirrors some who struggle to accept repentant sinners. So I give you this point today. Those who accept Christ must accept others accepted by Christ. Those who accept Christ must accept others who are accepted by Christ. So when someone repents and turns and decides to walk with Jesus, you know what? We don't talk about their past. We don't kick them while they're down. We don't rub it in their face. We rejoice and we celebrate. Last week, 
Uh, I shared that parables, as we look at them throughout this series, I encouraged you to read through the Gospel of Luke, which contains the most parables. But as we do, we're going to see highlighted the kingdom of God, the character of God, and expectations of God. Some expectations are present in this parable, and I offer them to you now. Number one, share God's joy when any sinner repents. Share his joy. Number two, do not give up on people when they turn away from God or family. Listen, I know some of you are waiting for your son or your daughter to come home. Maybe you have a prodigal in your family tree. And while that's not ideal and it hurts, don't give up on them. Don't give up on those who turn away from God and family. Three, show love when someone snaps out of it and tries to make things right with you. Again, don't rub it in their face. Show them God's unconditional love by forgiving them. That's number four. Practice forgiveness as you want God to forgive you. And five, oh boy, avoid jealousy and selfishness when the celebration is about someone else and not you. Nick made a joke. Nick's our drummer today. He made a joke earlier this morning because when I got here, all these five were not on the same screen and it bothered me. I'm like, Henry, can you put them all on one screen? And Nick said, it's fine. Just cut number five so we can be jealous and selfish. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Let's avoid jealousy and selfishness when the celebration's about someone else. Will you pray with me? Loving and compassionate Father, how long you stood waiting for me to come back from the far country. How long it takes us at times to realize our sin, to realize what we leave behind when we desert you and seek our own independence. But what joy when we come home and when we find you waiting there for us. Thank you for loving us, waiting for us when we were lost. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected with all that God is doing here at Redeemer, you can visit RedeemerTulsa.org or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Have a blessed week.